Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hi, and welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with... Bart Hansen, we are still on the road. If you listened to last week's show, we were with uh, Melanie at Boniche, and we got to sit down with um, uh, Leon from Tackett Family Vineyards as well. So we have moved down the road a little bit, too. And what I'm learning is to, I asked Bart along the way, we call this slow, right? So you don't have to actually say San Luis Obispo. You well, just say slow. I, Vicky, Vicky may not feel that way, but I, that's the way I always heard people say it. it you are in slow. Um, you is know. that a thing, Vicky? Is that for or is that, or is that a tourist thing? No, it's not a tourist thing because okay. locals say that also. Also, slow town. But oh, some no. people are offended by it. Okay. But certainly, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. So the the we're actually sitting in Edna Valley here. And uh, in Vicky's backyard, which is just spectacular yeah. vineyards, we rolled by a bunch of an orchard, which I think someone said was a lemon orchard. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the Edna Valley Hills, there's a hawk flying around over us. We have a nice bottle of rosé open, yeah. and w- from Chris Hamill, thank you, the true believer. Yeah, and we can't f- wait to find out about Hospice de Rome. Well, <clears throat> let me introduce our guests. Um, officially. So Vicki Carroll runs and organizes two of the premier wine events in the world. One of them is at um, Blackberry Farm in Tennessee, and the other one is here in Paso Robles, the Hospice de Rhone, or HDR, or Hospice, um, as people call it around here, which is a, a gathering of Rhone lovers from around the world. So uh, Spain, France, Australia, um, pretty much everywhere mm, now, South right? South Africa. South Africa, correct. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, it uh, takes place at the fairgrounds at Paso Robles, and it is a three, you can stretch it out to four days, I think, um, if you wanted to, event. Um, that is the, the most insane wine lovers gathering that I have ever been to, and I don't mean that it's chaotic. I mean just in sheer number of wines um, that you're able to try and the events that you're able to go to, and um, it's amazing. And, so, and the and the seminars, I mean, the, the seminars are so educational. Yeah. And on top of that, the incredible wines that are poured with it. I mean, if yeah. you, certainly if you're a wine lover, it's, it should not be missed. And if you're a Rhone wine lover and you haven't been, hmm, yeah. I don't know what's wrong there. Um, <laughs> so, Vicki, how did, how did you get to be the one that's put this all together? Well, I used to direct the what was called the Edna Valley, a Royal Grande Valley Vintners Association, oh, okay. and John Alban was a member, and that was uh, in the early 90s, and I resigned from that after eight years, and I was doing consulting, and John and Matt Gerritsen were working on Hospice du Rhone, and John came to me and said, you know, we need a director, Matt and I both have jobs, we cannot do hospice drone please partner with us and so i did and that was the beginning of a, a wonderful adventure it's been 20 years yeah and th- there was a wasn't there a one year where it didn't happen was that uh, we took a four-year break in okay. 2012 okay because it happens every other year yes, here in Paso we took Robles. a four-year break right. and then due to popular demand and some pressure in france at a party um <laughs> wait a minute that, wait a okay minute. wait a minute that we, might be a story yeah we i want to know how this happened well every other year is the discovery the rhone valley which um inner rhone puts on so we have gone since 2003 mm-hmm. girl in the fig always travels with us to that trip on that trip and we were sitting around in uh Pierre Gaillard and Pascal Gaillard's living room, and they always have a big party for us and invite all the people that come to Hospice du Rhone mm-hmm. from the Rhone Valley. And the producers were saying, you know, when's when are you going to do Hospice du Rhone again? And we said, well, we're looking at different venues, maybe San Francisco, L.A., New York, something to make it easier on international travelers who can come in and work the market and you don't have to... Right spend so much money on airfare and they said you know what you don't understand 
We want to be together with everybody in Paso Robles. Hmm. We can go anywhere we want to to do our work, but Paso right. Robles is our passion. So wow. I said, okay, I guess the writing's on the wall. And to be honest, I was missing everybody so much and was secretly planning without telling Howard, my husband, <laughs> that I wanted to do another one. So we agreed to do it every other year. And so it's on the year that the large event is not happening in the Rhone Valley. Okay. Okay. Because we go to that and we love it. And uh, we feel that it's not fair to international producers to ask them to come to the event every year. I think every other year is much more doable for them. Yeah. And, so. and why Rhone varietals? Well, you know, Matt Gerritsen started the Viognier Guild, and that was really the root right. of Hospice du Rhone. So Matt had a wine shop. He was in Atlanta. He loved Viognier. That was a pivotal variety for him in, in his wine appreciation. And he started this organization called the Viognier Guild. Uh, shout out to Jeff Cohn. <laughs> <laughs> told us, that, I think, a story about the Viognier uh -huh. Guild. Yeah, yeah. So Matt's first event, he invited Rhone producers and um, some of his customers from his wine shop. And the event was held at around someone's swimming pool, one of his customers. And I think there were less than 30 people there. I was mm -hmm. not there. But um, Matt invited John Alban. And John thought, oh, my gosh, who would put on an event for Rhone varieties. John, I'm sure most people know this, was the first American vintner to plant exclusively Rhone varieties. Mm. So people thought he was a little crazy and for doing that. And so he loved the idea that, that Matt wanted to jump on board with Rhone varieties. And the next, so after this event, John said, I'll host it at Alban Vineyards. And John and I have been friends for a very long time. And he and asked me to do that so right. you know and Rhone varieties were John's thing yeah and and it, it's really interesting because I've always loved Rhone varieties you know and and not that I, it's been forever but it's certainly been 15 plus years 18 plus years and I, you know we had a little bit of Rhone fruit that we used to get at Benziger um, but finding Rhone fruit in Sonoma and Napa counties was really hard. Sure. Um, and it was, but it was all down here. I mean, it, it, when, when they started, John Alban planted the first, but Paso Robles and, and, and the central coast is what really kind of took it and elevated it, you know? Um, and Sonoma County and Napa was very late to join. Mm -hmm. um, now we're certainly having a strong, you know, commitment to it. But it really was it's down here that really got it yeah. going I in California. Gary Eberly was probably mm -hmm. the first person to, to plant, I think, Syrah and, you know, and John. And then, of course, Toddless Creek. Right. Very active in right. plantings. Um, and then Hospice Jerome moved to Paso Robles. And I think... People realized not only was it a great place to have an event, but it's a great place to grow Rhone varieties. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we Bart and I an are explosion. actually we will be going to <clears throat> next week. You will hear our show from Tablas Creek, where we get together with Nathan the Shepherd oh, and talk he, about regenerative farming. It's great. Yeah, he does really good work at Tablas Creek. That's what we've heard. And we've heard that there's a Netflix special. What is it called? W for wine or we, um, Leon Tackett was, was saying yeah. V for, uh, V for vineyard or V, v for, for wine or something, something like v that. For vino. Yeah. So we'll have to look that up. And he said that there was one documentary that was specifically about Tablas Creek and, and Nathan. Um, so we'll take a look at that. So, so Vicky, how did you get started in the in the wine industry in general? Like, did you grow up around vineyards or grow up just loving wine? Uh, I grew up in Mariposa, California, around cowboys. Uh huh. Uh huh. And um, <laughs> and I had a great life and have lots of great friends there. And I moved to San Luis Obispo to go to college. Okay. And didn't leave. And um, in the late seventies, I volunteered for an event called uh, La Fiesta de mm -hmm. San Luis Obispo. It was a celebration 
of the Spanish heritage of the city of San Luis Obispo. So I decided that it would be fun to have a wine event in conjunction with this. And at the time, there were six wineries in the Edna Valley, Edna and Royal Grande Valley. So, you know, we, we live in the Edna Valley, and so I invited our neighbors to participate in this event. And the vintners from that participated said, you know, we're having an event, our first event in the Edna and Royal Grande Valley, and we'd like you to direct it. So it was all, I volunteered to do something. Right. And I've always, as an adult, always enjoyed wine. And I used to take wine classes. And when my husband and I met, I was taking a wine class. And, and our relationship was also built around wine. And we eventually built, uh, planted our vineyard out here in the Edna Valley. What, what wine classes were you taking? Just general appreciation of wine okay. and then international and wine Howard drink, was in wine drinking 101. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, it was. But that, Howard was in the class too. Well, or no, he, he found out that I was taking the class, and uh, he asked if it was all right if he joined in. I let him. Smart guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, how did you get hooked up with Jeb Dunnick? So we we just pulled in today to your house, and people are currently dropping off wines for Jeb to taste. Anyone out there that doesn't know Jeb Dunnick, if if you have no names like Robert Parker, Stephen Tanzer, Jeb is uh, um, does reviews and scores for wines, and you were in the process of collecting almost 500 wines right now for him to taste later on this month. Um, and when we pulled up to the house, we kind of pretended like we were dropping off wines because we wanted one of those T-shirts. Oh, so we, <laughs> did you get one? Your daughter was did. nice enough to give us one. I don't know if we're supposed to have it. Um, of course you are. But how did you get connected with Jeb and do and what is exactly is your role um, in collecting all the wines? We started doing the Central Coast tasting for Bob Parker. And that was in about maybe 2004. Mm -hmm. And he had mentioned something about needing some help organizing some tastings. And we said, of course, we will help you. We would be happy to. So we we started doing that for Bob. And then um, Antonio Galoni took over Mm -hmm. Bob's spot. And then Jeb took over from Antonio and then um, you know Jeb started his own business the the um, the Roan report well a- Jeb had the Roan report very early on and but um, he started his jebdunnick.com after okay. that so okay. the Roan report existed before he worked for for um, the wine advocate mm-hmm. and and I would say Jeb right now it appears is he's kind of the premier wine reviewer um, right now um, would you agree with that? I mean, as far as just like pure popularity of people, one, winemakers wanting to know what he thinks, and two, um, his readers. I mean, he's really kind of the new guy, right? I believe that's true. And Jeb has worked very, very hard to get where he is. And um, I, I believe if he weren't so passionate about what he does, he just wouldn't be able to do it. He, right. he has another job. So yeah. it's, I, you know, it sounds like fun to people out there when you talk about tasting wines for a living, but Bart and I were talking about it today that we don't know that we could do that. And you're going to collect almost 500 wines. It's going to be about a, like a four day process Yes. in which, so how does that go? All the wines get open. Basically, I'm sure check to make sure that they're, um, stable and, uh, not, no, no flaws. They're not faulty in any way. And then, and then you just start lining up glasses yes. and he starts taking notes. Does he do it on a computer? He or does a, because okay. we have this spreadsheet that we provide for him on, on his computer. We had a, a portal done on our website specifically to do wine tastings for wine writers because wow. it was just so much easier. So we had this developed and it was a big investment, but for us, it's a service to the producers that participate. And so it's, it's just something that we do. It's not something that we make money doing. It's right. just a service. And, um, the information that the wineries provide is populated in into the spreadsheet and then Jeb has that on his computer or other wine writers we do tastings for other wine writers and um, it makes it so much easier for them to take their notes so he'll taste and he'll 
put his notes in his computer and uh, almost at the end of the tasting day, he goes to his room and reviews all of his notes and adds to them if he needs to. He has a remarkable memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, as Brian said, this is not an easy feat. You know, I, when I worked at larger wineries, we'd sit down and do 25, 30 wines at a time. And when you're done, you're exhausted. You know, your palate is fatigued. You're mentally p- fatigued because when you're really thinking about it, you know, there's a time to just drink wine and enjoy wine like right now. Right. But when you are, you know, trying to really look at it analytically and, you know, qualitative, um, it's a lot of work. And it takes it takes a lot of focus, and it can be exhausting. He's I know in, yeah. nobody wants to hear that, but because but it is it really right. is. It is. He's incredibly focused. You know, we're quietly in the room to to help him in any way that we can. But you know, there's no conversation, and um, yeah. he's just working very hard to get through the wines and be fair in his assessments. Does he ever like when he's there tasting? Can you see him, like, find something that he, like, will he react to something <laughs> extremely good? Does he give out a woot woot? Mm, no. <laughs> and maybe he's, maybe you can't say that, but you know what I'm saying. He's yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretty reserved about it just because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want anybody to make comments one way or the other. Right. So. No, I understand. <laughs> I understand. But is, is there a process to it? Like, does he say, you know, I want to try... The, the Grenaches first and then tomorrow the Syrahs or is you know or do I want to start with lighter bodied wines and then as we move through the week get into the deeper darker stuff or is it just totally random what we do now is that the wines are tasted in alphabetical order and we've always done it that way wow. Ex- except that um, we you know if you had entered three reds and three whites he would taste those but now we do it differently so he'll taste all of your reds and he'll taste reds maybe from 10 wineries and then he'll taste the whites from those wineries to take a break to refresh his palate and it works out much better for him and so that he's not fatigued because you know red wines are really hard on your palate yeah so well you know jeff cohen always likes to say that you know he likes to pour when he's pouring wine for people pour the white wine last and some of that has to do with the white wines that he makes Mm -hmm. Um, but there's no doubt that a white wine will really refresh your palate um, after tasting a bunch of red so that that makes perfect sense and at the end of each day we have 100 and some odd opened bottles of wine that are you know there's about three quarters of the bottle left so we take all those wines uh, to Herman's Story and to Shamasal Winery down here in the Edna Valley. So Herman's Story will host a few. We call them the after after tasting. Okay. And so the wineries and um, and the you know restaurant industry are invited, and yes. everybody has the opportunity to come and taste all of those That's wines. Awesome. It's incredible That's awesome. learning experience for everybody. Yeah. So for four days, you're able to taste. You know, almost 500 wines wow that's awesome yeah i'm put that on my calendar for next year (laughs) (laughs) well and how do you decide which seminars take place at hdr for example i know this last year that i went we had one on old vine where morgan twain peterson and tegan pasalacqua and uh, who comes up with the concepts for some of the the seminars how do do we pitch a sonoma county roan yeah how do we pitch it it? (laughs) well i'm not opposed to that um I do a lot of reading and I look for people that are doing very interesting projects that I think that our attendees will enjoy because we we have a very educated group of people that attend our event and I don't want something that is below what you know they already know absolutely Um, so we look for that and also, people come to us with their projects and that they think will be interesting. And, you know, some people come and it's for commercial reasons, and we know that, and the answer would be no. But um, just the true passion of the producers is what inspires me to learn more about them and have them come in and 
and talk to all of you about the, that. the first year I poured uh, first and only year that I poured at Hospice Rome was when I was with the Lassiters and I was blown away at the amount of education that the tasters have at your event I mean We've all been to these large tastings where, you know, after about the first hour and a half, people are just putting glasses in front of you and Mm -hmm. the conversation kind of ends and it's more about just drinking. Um, But I didn't find that at your event. And even when last year when I was here as a guest and was going around tasting, it it was the same thing. I mean, it's it is it is a wine lovers event. It's not just a party. And that's what I find wonderful about it. So. Thank you, because that's the goal. I wouldn't want it to be any other way, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been to those big tastings where, you know, an hour and a half in, someone drops a glass and the the volume goes up about 10 decibels and it just becomes a party. And um, your event is really fun, but it's there's all sorts of information and it's great. Great. Not just that, but it's it's nonstop. I mean, I guess the the way that I do it is (laughs) Vicky has been gracious enough to allow me to um, volunteer, which means opening up the wines. So generally you're there about eight o'clock in the morning and then starting to open up the wines for the different seminars. And and then you can continue with your day going through all of the different tastings, end up with the going to a winemaker dinner. And then, I mean, you've basically spent 14, 15 hours um, immersed um, in wine. Um, And those are some of my favorite uh, days. (laughs) Well, we're very grateful for the sommeliers that volunteer their time because you guys actually get there at seven, Brian, not eight. (laughs) Most of us. (laughs) You might not remember that. (laughs) And and some of them a little bit later, depending on what happened the night before. But, um, (laughs) you know, without and we have about 25 sommeliers that volunteer their time from you know all over the united states we don't pay for their airfare or their hotel or anything and um so it gives our producers that bring their wine in just the highest sense of confidence that their wines will be handled properly and that they'll be presented in the way that they want them to be presented and my favorite part of the event is walking into the seminar room with Dan Fredman's soundtrack on. Other than that, it's completely quiet, and there are 25 of you guys pouring wine, and the smell fills the room, and I just, it's, it's like a beautiful orchestra, and I just look out at you guys, and it fills my heart, Aww. and it, it brings tears to my eyes, Aww. and I just love to stand there and watch you. And the soundtrack's good, too. And the soundtrack is excellent. <laughs> our, our, our friend Ian Blessing, who's been on this show before a number of times, he spoke of when he helped you guys last year about he was amazed going through and pulling corks and, and picking out that, you know, even though the wine was sound, it was still different than some of the other ones. Well, there's Remember that you don't, yeah, you guys are remarkable. Yeah. yeah. You don't normally. So as a Psalm, especially on the floor, you're pulling a bottle at a time and you're opening it up and you smell it and you're, you know, pouring it for a guest and they're tasting it. It's very rare unless you're working a banquet or a catering event that you get to pull 12 or 24 corks, which mm-hmm. it happens here where they'll say, okay, you're in charge of those. You're in charge of those. So after you, have gotten through the first three or four bottles, you know exactly what that wine smells and uh, smells and tastes like. And then you, it's really easy to pick off a bottle where you go, Oh, wait a minute. That's not a bad bottle, but it's off. And that happens with some varietals are more, um, um, suspect for that. And then some places in the world, what really blew Ian away and what's great is because Ian was a Psalm at the French laundry who, um, currently has now, now he's, he moved on to Bashan and now he's working at Opus One. Um, he, he's a a new dad now, so he's, he's got a daytime job. Um, so shout out to Ian, but he, what really opened his eyes was there was an O2, I believe it was a Movedra that had screw cap. And so Ian got put in charge of the screw cap wine. And I said, do you have any wines with screw cap at the French laundry? He said, no, I don't even think we would allow like a tasting. Like if someone came in and they had a screw cap, I don't think they'd even allow them to put it on the wine list, no matter how good the wine was. And so he he really had a, a very negative attitude towards screw caps. And what was funny is he opened up 24 of those bottles 
every single one was sound and tasted exactly the same. <laughs> this is an O2. Wow. And so he left there like he, smoke was coming off of his head because he said, you know, I've, I'm going to have to go home and tell them like not only there's is there nothing wrong with screw caps. I think they're superior in some way because <laughs> I've been pulling corks all day and mm-hmm. have seen flaws in bottles or uh, differentiations, whatever. And he said, with this, every single bottle tasted and smelled the exact same. So he that sort of changed his changed his world mm-hmm. um, for and that I, one day. I'm sure there are some people out there in the industry that would love to hear this story too. and some that would it would not, not love right. to hear this story. some of our sponsors actually yeah right <laughs> i know what well, you know what happens even um you know our good friend nicole Rollet from sean blue last night uh not last night the night before i was some people wanted a rosé i said oh my god you have to try sean blue they were used to drinking the coats de roses Ger- gerard right. bertrand that they would get at costco i said well we're using the same varietals only this is going to be made much better mm-hmm. and the first bottle I um, pulled was corked, oh. and I only had you know I only have three on the on the floor or something at uh, at all times. So I just went and um, pulled another one. But I know Nicole is very particular about her yeah. cork selection. I mean about every step in the wine. So it's just one of those things that happens. And and, and um, you know some people would say, oh, things for Sauvignon Blanc or Rosé, you could probably use a screw cap. But some Rosé is different. We've talked about this. I think they just released their seven. They just bottled their 18 rosé at Chambleu, Blue, and this is the 17 that we're currently working with on the floor. So not all rosé is made to be bottled in December and released in January, yeah. um, like like some people we know, which is great. Some people like fresh, fresh um, wines, but it's, I think it's interesting sometimes to pull one with a... I tried a Donham uh, 2016 rosé the other day. That was beautiful. And I'm sure it's it's probably selling for half the price of the 18 just because someone thinks, oh no, that's old. Right. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Well, maybe as more rosés are on the market and we have more of them to appreciate and learn about, yeah. and we can hopefully hold on to some and and see what happens vintage yeah. to vintage i right. think that would and, be and, nice and rosé that's made with intention you yes. know um not made as a secondary product you know just because you're trying to make a better red wine so i think that has something to do with it too definitely you know yeah well you had a very nice posting the other day of all the rosés um at bottle barn and i think you're right vicky what's going to happen and I think it, I think it's going to happen because we might reach that um, saturation point in the market where you can't possibly sell next year all of the 2019 rosé, and so some of it will get um, left in some warehouse somewhere, and two or three years later, someone will decide, let's unload those hundred cases of rosé that we have. Grocery outlet. Grocery outlet. Yes. Or, or even you know, I'm not adverse to buying wines um for the restaurant if they're still sound and and taste good even if they have some age it's just a matter of talking to someone when you're selling it saying oh no this is this is um this wine is fine it doesn't have to be bottled tuesday right. uh, to be an enjoyable <laughs> wine you know <laughs> so vicky how did you rope howard into getting involved with uh everything you do with hospice is he a willing participant he is incredibly willing and to be honest um I don't think that Hospice du Rhone would still be going on if it were not for Howard because he has been incredibly supportive in every way that he possibly can. He's like the go-to guy. He is. Yeah. Yeah. From dumping big, big containers of dump buckets uh, <laughs> and driving forklifts to sometimes being our banker. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I, I was telling Bart earlier today, I said, you know, Howard is one of those guys where it's, all of a sudden you look around and you're like, oh, my God, where's the whatever it is, the 06 Bedrock the Heritage Hedera. Blend? Oh, my God, it's not here. Get Howard on the phone. <laughs> Next thing you know, in 10 minutes, it's there. He knows where all the wine is. Uh-huh. He, he really knows a lot of behind-the-scenes details about Hospice Daron and sometimes... I don't even know. I'll have to ask him. Right. It might be a good job to be Howard's assistant. 
Howard Maybe. Howard would like an assistant, <laughs> but you also have to be able to drive a forklift. Oh well, yeah, which is we which is people. something that we <laughs> we tell people when they're getting into the wine industry is make yourself more valuable. Learn to drive a forklift. Absolutely. It is definitely one of those things you want to know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how did how did you come up with so not just besides the seminars and you know the theme, but how do you bring more people in? Do you get is it existing people that you know saying hey i know this really cool winemaker or i know this winery in australia or in south africa that i think really should be involved there's that for sure people recommending other people and then people reaching out to us also i heard about this from so and so or i read about hospice du rhone in a magazine and or i saw a poster somewhere and i want I want to be there or uh, someone who wants to do a seminar um, just sent me an email yesterday saying it's a very small world I just was speaking with Philippe Combi and he told me how wonderful Hospice Duron is and that I need to be there and you know so it's it's word of mouth and it's right. all sorts of other avenues do you ever not sell out um, I mean, do you is there do you have extra tickets? Well, how sometimes? about in two thousand and eight? Economy not doing so exactly. well. Exactly, yeah, right. about fifty percent. But uh, we generally sell out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It seems to me from being at those seminars, there's not too many empty seats. Right. Yeah. yeah the seminars always seem to fill right up. It's yes. maybe there's always there's tickets available for the grand tasting, but there'll be tasting tickets usually yeah. available. But we do cap that at thirteen hundred people okay. because we don't want it to be uncomfortable for our attendees or our wineries. So let's go back to maybe the first few events like how many wineries participating and how many guests and then compare that to let's say last year well my first event was in 2000 so the first hospice to Roner Viognier Guild was in 1991 right 25 people so in 2000 there were about 300 people okay and that was for almost for everything, for the meals, for the seminars, maybe a few more for the tasting, maybe let's say 500 for the tasting. And number of wineries, probably 50, yeah. maybe not even that. And then our last event, we always sell out of tables, and that's 168 tables. Okay. And... The attendance at the grand tasting was about twelve hundred. Okay. Seminars were sold out at three twenty five. Yeah. And meals are sold out at five hundred yeah. and those were all sold. Yeah. Wow. And do you remember the Vignet Guild? Do you remember going bowling at any time? Oh, we all, you know, we are trying so hard to bring We don't know if Roman Jeff is bowl. full of shit or not. So we, we <laughs> yes, want to fact check him. of course. It okay. was um, even, it was after the Viognier Guild. So it was Viognier Guild and then it was called Raising Rhones for a very short period of time and then Hospice to Rhone. Uh, so yes, there was Ronan Bowl at Wilson's Lanes oh. in Paso Robles. Okay. So Wilson's Lanes has sold and for the past two events we've been working with the new owners that just don't quite understand how significant that evening will be to their bottom line okay. <laughs> so i'm not promising anything but i just want to say we are working hard to try to get another ronable on that thursday night awesome yeah we were just talking with uh, jeff conan and charlotte was visiting from uh, fontaloupe uh, and Jeff always likes to tell his story of meeting the, the French guys at the at the bowling alley. Well, a lot of times people, it would be the first time people have bowled. Right. And um, it was pretty crazy. There's, a, you know, it's Rhone and Bowl. So there's a lot of Rhone wine <laughs> right, there. Right. There's a lot of Rhone. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and Chef Rick, I don't know if you know Chef Rick from no. Santa Maria. He's mm-hmm. wonderful. Rick Manson, he would be on site to do the food. And... We just had a great time. Let's talk about the food because I've I've been to a dinner at Epic, I believe, where the guy was amazing chef was cooking outside on an open pit. It almost like it was like a whole half of a like a lamb 
split in half that was and then like pieces hanging everywhere and um uh, that was amazing and then at the fairgrounds last year whoever you had doing the cooking outside on the big um stakes Mm -hmm. on the open flames yeah francis malman style Mm -hmm. we had run into all of those cooks they were staying i think at the same hotel we were at so we had run into them the night before and they were telling us what we were, what they were going to do. And so right. we were all excited. And then to see it, it was, it's very Game of Thrones. So yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How do you find the chefs? And is it a, do you look for someone that's doing something a little bit different or are you just looking for someone that wants to get involved? Well, we like to use local chefs because it just works out better for us in logistics. Yeah. And so we have some wonderful local chefs and so la- the last event that was Spencer Johnson who did the Francis Mallman style dinner. Um, and this next event will be mixing it up a little bit. (laughs) That was, that was very, um, intriguing, very intriguing way of saying, I'm not going to tell you (laughs) who it's going to be. You're pretty close to the people who will be mostly involved. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, I remember someone that I know saying that, they were going to be doing a lot of cooking um, at this event, which is, which I thought sounded great. Me too. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> and and our listeners will will try to figure that one out. And we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know who's coming down. I mean, our good. Friend. I remember that what it was the year that she brought all the little small fig rigs. Remember. Or was that it? Was that what it was? Oh. That other no, that was at your event where she. It was before before the fig rig, and she right? Had, but she had a little model she had a of little it. Model of it, and yeah. she was showing off to everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and then they drove it down last year. right? Oh, the girl in the fig has been our hugest supporter since day one. I think I read an article. I don't know, 2002 or something, a little piece in the Sunset Magazine about the girl and the fig and the Roan Focus program. And I thought, they need to be at our event. Yeah, Bart and I were actually wondering about this, how you guys actually got together. We didn't know if you guys were friends before. I called her and she said, of course I'll be there. And from that day on, we have been great friends and you know john supporting us john toolsy and mm-hmm. and and sandra bernstein uh, it means a lot to us yeah 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 there was something that i was i was reading an article about hospice to Roan and they had mentioned the girl in the fig and they they had said that oh yeah all they offer is Roan wines at the restaurant and i thought well that's a little that's Roan varietal wines grown pretty much locally at the restaurant because um, I think some people get get a little confused they think that a, a restaurant in wine country is serving only French wine but it, it's it's just Rune varietals that are grown around uh, Sonoma County well there are other don't they have wines from sometimes other countries France on the wine list? France yeah. Spain mm-hmm. and once in a while Australia mm-hmm um, I tried to sneak a, um, an Italian Syrah in one time, uh-huh. but there just was nothing else on the on yeah. the list from Italy. So it just seemed kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, fun to try though. Uh, fun to try. I've tried all kinds of things with Sandra. I tried sneaking in a Val de Guillet one year, telling her that I knew that there was some in, in Southern France. Mm-hmm. And I think for about two weeks that worked. And then I didn't know that you guys are consider Uni Blanc as a... yes. Okay, as a Rome varietal, because I know there's some people that make an Uni Blanc, and I had never tried to um, get that one in. Well, and it would, yeah. how about this controversy? Petite Syrah. Where are you with Petite Syrah? Oh, boy. You know, we have had producers present Petite Syrah in some seminars. I think the title was Petite Syrah, Does She or Doesn't She? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are so many... There's a lot of controversy over that, but I think that we like to recognize it. And if people want to bring their petite Syrah, we'll. Oh, agree. they're allowed to pour that yes, at the they hospice could, they event. Yes, pour that. Huh. Okay. Still no Chenin Blanc found in the Rhone Valley, though, I guess. I, I'm sure yeah, we could find I'm some sure we somewhere. Can find somewhere. 
<laughs> there's and and we'll get to see um at Tobles um tomorrow or a week from now if you're listening to the show mm-hmm. um some of the new um unquarantined uh, varietals that they've come up with That's which right. hopefully will be appearing at HDR soon like the mm-hmm. um yeah Claret Blanche which I know they're already making and then uh the Muscardine I yes, think is the new one so we're just ex- put in the ground yeah 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 so we're excited to see that we're not sure exactly how much of a tour we're going to get um um, tomorrow, but we're sh- we decided we better show up early, so we're showing up early enough where we think we might get a little a walk walk around the property. You know, it's the first time I've, I've never been there before. Well, there's a lot and to see. It's, yeah. it's a great property. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine Jason Haas is a, a supporter of the HDR pro- he is. <laughs> program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. always happy to have them there. And larger than I think. I didn't realize how big the winery was. It's it's. I mean, it's a hundred some something acres planted to vine, but then it's another hundred that's just. I think they grow barley, wheat, alfalfa, like everything for the sheep is grown on property. Yeah. I think there's some land out there that's probably not suitable for farming. I mean, for grape growing also. So it works out well for them, you know, because it's pretty steep up there. It is. So they're able to utilize that ground for other things that support their winery. Yeah. And that way they don't have to cut down trees because there's a lot of trees out there too, right? Yes. And we know we, and we don't like to cut down trees anywhere. No. Yeah. Ever. Well, and Vicky, uh, we should say that we're surrounded by your own grapes here um that you have had for how long? Oh, since 1990. And your daughter was telling us that Howard actually used to make wine. He did. He made wine for 24 years. Just in the garage. Um, Well, it was a hobby that ran amok because it did start (laughs) in the garage with one barrel. And then the building that is the Hospice Jerome office is also a winery. Okay. For a hobby. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say a hobby. He has barrel racks out there. Right. (laughs) So that's not a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, did he just eventually give up on that? Yeah. Two years ago, he said, you know, I'm not inspired right now, and I, why would I make wine if I'm not inspired? Good. That's a great answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and agree so with that. And so he took a break. So he was, because we have a Chardonnay vineyard, he was making a lot of Chardonnay, and then he switched to Syrah. He saw the light with that variety, and then um, he made that for quite a few years, and then the past few vintages, his last few vintages, he made a rosé of Syrah, which was fantastic oh nice and were you just drinking that at the house yes because it's you know it's just a home winery yeah right Mm -hmm. right how many how many cases are there drains in the winery building a few (laughs) are there drains in the floors in the winery building um no okay so it's not that bad of a obsession that you know it's one thing (laughs) he doesn't have an architect in there right now yeah there's not as we speak right (laughs) well you know what i what i really um would like to tell you is is thank you um, for doing what you do, but because, and we've talked about this. I wish Sam were here because he he expresses it um, so nicely. Is there's something that's very different about the relationship between, say, a, a Bordeaux um, grower in in France and someone in Napa that's growing Cab, and it's very different when you have someone from the Rhone Valley that's. Um, that's making a wine and their connection to someone in Sonoma or Paso that's making wine. There's something about the Rhone producers, Rhone lovers, um, that is just different from every other wine lover in the world. And your event captures that essence. So for three or four days, you and I've seen this quoted somewhere, I don't know where it was, it's almost like... Um, it's like Comic-Con or the Star Trek convention yes. for winemakers mm-hmm. or for wine lovers. Yeah. It's just such a different thing. I call it a family reunion where you actually like everyone. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. And it's true what you say about Rhone producers, I really feel. And it has enhanced our lives so much. Our family has goes places where they're just completely welcome because of Rhone producers. And our oldest daughter went to France and was visiting with the Gaillard family and she was in the Northern Rhone and they were taking her to different wineries. And she came home, she said, mom, 
everybody knows who you are there. <laughs> and that opened her eyes to the fact that the world is small yeah. and that we have really quite a great fellowship with our own producers. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. 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 It's amazing what you've tapped into. It's, um, well, it's a passion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It is I know, an incredible amount of work. I know, and you don't have faith anymore. Is that correct? Faith is not consulting for us any longer. Uh-huh. She's gone out on her own, and um, I do miss her dearly because she was with us for 10 years. Yeah. But um, we have someone who will be directing our Paso Robles event. Her name is Teresa Delagana, and she worked for me when she was a college student. Mm-hmm. And she lives in Paso Robles, well, in Templeton. And she does a lot of events for our fair, for Paso Robles Okay. Uh, what do they call themselves? The, the Mid-State, Mid-State Fair. Fair. And so she runs a lot of events for them, and she has an incredible knowledge of the fairgrounds and also works for wineries. So she'll be fabulous at um, directing the Paso Robles event. Oh, great. Yeah. And what did, what did Faith go off and do? Oh, she's always had a consulting business for wineries and marketing okay. and public relations, so that's okay. what she's yeah, doing. Yeah, she's good at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she is. Yeah. Very good at it. All right. Vicki, you want to mention anything? Uh, I don't even know. You don't have like a website yourself, right? Is it just uh, people go to Hospice to Rhone and... and um... Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm the president and director of Hospice to Rhone. And we are a... I don't remember seeing a picture of you on the website. I mean, it's very we don't do like... That. I know. It's very <laughs> like, hey, this is what... And it's and it's uh, Blackberry Farm and Paso Robles. And it, you can either click on either one and see what's going on. And it's bas- very simple to navigate. Yeah. Um, you know, we have information about the Rhone varieties and we have all of our past seminars right. on, on there and... We have we're on social media where we like to support all the different producers and I, I think yeah I think one of the neatest things on the website is when the events coming around how you have the listing of every producer that's there pouring um, you know and yeah. noticed by the country that they're from and stuff and then you can click and get information mm-hmm. about those wineries and that's a great resource for a you know wine nerd like myself and we do um, have an app also. Right. So that is very helpful because it breaks everything down by variety and region and country and producer. Now tell me this. How does one get video of some of the past events with, I don't know, for example, some things that go on at the Rosé lunch or (laughs) I know people are taking video. I'm wondering who's... Who's collecting it? Even the photos. You do like a little um, slideshow or something that has all of those things. Who's Who has all that stuff? Well, you know, I wish I did have videos of all of the events because we don't. And I would really like to have that. But there are bits and pieces here and there. And I'm happy to try to find those for you. Eric Wand, who is local, takes some of our photos. Mm-hmm. And Mel Hill who now lives in, in Colorado, who used to live in Chicago, and Mel would come every year to do photography. He's a professional photographer. Okay. So Mel has a lot of photos, but I don't think he ever did any video, and Eric didn't either. Hmm. But I've I would seen, like yeah. some. I've seen a few out there. Mm-hmm. I always try and look for something, especially if I had gone the year before. I want to see, like, oh, my, I wonder if they anyone caught this on video, but very few and far between. So, yeah, but right. th- those photographers, you are they coming because you're asking them to, or are they coming because that's just what they do? Oh, they're coming because we ask them to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And they're very generous with their time. Nice. Yeah. So, can you mention the upcoming dates for everybody? Oh, maybe. Yes. Thank you. For the Paso Robles event, uh, April 23rd through the 25th of 2020. And for our Blackberry Farm event, May 17th through the 20th of 2020. A busy couple months. For you. Yeah, it you're going to be. Yeah. But that's what usually happens. And our Paso Robles event information will go up on our website probably November 1st is what I'm aiming for. Okay. And then the wines that you're collecting for Jeb, is this for what exact, what's the theme of the tasting? Is it just that every certain certain few months that he gets wines together or so is it it's it's current release okay so on paso robles wines uh, there's paso and edna and arroyo grande valley 
Okay, so it has to be from those specific so, Yeah, so he's, we do his Central Coast, San Luis Obispo County, and then there's someone in Santa Barbara that coordinates his uh, Santa Barbara County tasting. Okay. So that would involve also wines from the Santa Maria Valley. Okay, so that'll happen at the end of this month. How long does it generally take him to turn around scores? Oh, I think that he'll probably have this one published by November. Oh, wow. Okay. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But maybe sooner. Some, okay. Sometimes September. Okay. Just depends on what his schedule is like. And he'll usually, on his website, which is com, he will list a editorial schedule most times of when okay. you can expect to see right. those reports. Right. Yeah. Okay. Bart? Brian? I'm going to get shout out to... Sam, we wish you could have come. I don't know. Sam is a, a new papa, and we tried oh. to pull him out of the house for 24 that's, hours. but um, That's a rough time to leave. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, John Myers, well, let's get a shout-out to John Myers, who is um, um, laying low in Sonoma, and uh, Todd Jolly at Sonoma's Best. And let's say hi again to uh, Mel at uh, Bone Niche Wines. We are thinking about you, and hopefully the next time we come down, we can crawl around in your vineyard a bit. Um, <laughs> maybe bring Sam with us, and and um, uh, hope maybe closer to Crush will be fun. Ah, uh, you'll be, uh, I don't know. Not a lot of people will be busy. <laughs> I won't be busy. Um, shout out to Sandra and John at The Girl and the Fig. Um, Sandra and I are doing a podcast together called uh, The Bike Goes On that you can check out by going to thebikegoeson.com. You can always go to radiomisfits.com to see our past episodes. Who can we um, say hi to? Um, um, Travis, Travis, Travis who and was, his wife. who was here this week um, yeah. with his wife and daughter. And, and you did a tasting up at your house with him. And then he came into Sante the other day and, and said hello to me. Yep. Um, um, we so just recently had a listener, uh, Vanessa Bucktold. Sorry, Vanessa, if I pronounced your last name wrong. Um, she was in Sonoma. Um, I think went down, went and saw Todd and bought some of my wines from Todd and I think had a tasting with Sam. Nice. And then um, we have a number of uh, listeners coming into Sonoma Valley here in the next couple months. Um, uh, 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 Rob um, is coming in. And yeah, so it, it, nice to have meet all these people that we interact with through social media that are listeners to the podcast. It's, Definitely. it's great. That's Couldn't great. You guys, it. congratulations. The, thank you. It's, yeah. it's neat for us because you know, um, um, Travis asked, asked for me and the host was standing there the whole time when he was talking and she, she was kind of confused when we stopped talking. She said, is he a fan of yours? And I said, <laughs> Well, he listens to the podcast, but he lives in North Carolina. Like we wow. had, we had no idea when we started this. You know, it was just a bunch of guys getting together, hanging out and drinking wine and turning on the microphones. But it's great when you like someone from North Carolina, and then their wife is coming to Sonoma on a seminar. She's coming for business, and he says, "I'm coming because I want to go check out." Yeah, and, and he, planned his, he planned his whole trip around. We people do the podcasters trip to Sonoma. They'll. Go to the girl in the fig. They'll go see Jeff Cohn. They'll go to sixteen six hundred. <laughs> They'll go to see Todd Jolly. I mean, it's 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 pretty fun. Well, that's a good fun. trip. It is a good trip yeah. for sure. We, we have good friends. <laughs> well, you guys make good recommendations. <laughs> yeah, as long as we keep making those good recommendations, we're good. Well, Vicky, thank you so much for opening up your house. I told Bart you are like the best host ever. We just started setting up equipment and cheese and meat and blueberries and nuts and rosé from Chris Hamill and what I mean. We feel very well taken care of here, um, uh, well, so we appreciate. You, you know, much. that's what our industry is about, right? Hospitality and taking care of each other. That's so right. That's why you we guys do what take we do. good care of cheers. us too. Yeah. So, uh, cheers. Right, cheers. You're welcome. Thank you. We'll look forward to talking to you guys next week. <laughs>